Welcome to the Dry Bones Ministries podcast, where we strive to provide great preaching and teaching so that listeners will discover or rediscover the goodness, truth, and beauty of our Catholic faith. If you are interested in supporting the work we are doing, visit us at drybonespgh.org or follow us on social media at drybonespgh. Thanks for joining us. We hope that you are inspired, uplifted, and encouraged. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Dry Bones Ministries special podcast series on the Litany of Trust. My name is Father Adam Potter, and we've made it to day 29. We're so close, and you're here, which is amazing. Shows the, yeah, the grace of God working in your own life and uh, your own response to it, and to really persevere. This has been no small endeavor. It's been a, a joyful labor on, on my part to be with you each of these days throughout this whole retreat. And we're coming to a close. I wanted to invite you once again just to really be intentional about how you conclude. Where are you going to go for uh, ideally a mass, um, a confession? be nice to do that beforehand um, to make a good confession and to go to mass and to really pray Pray as uh, it's been encouraged to pray as if it were your first Mass, your last Mass, or the only Mass that you would ever, ever celebrate. That changes things. I, I try to say that as a priest every time before I go out to celebrate Mass, just to really appreciate yeah, what it is that I'm, I'm doing. And then afterwards, to find a special altar and... Or maybe just right in front of the tabernacle would be a great place to go and to pray this litany of trust one more time, asking for the grace to really surrender your entire life to Jesus Christ and then to watch, to watch what kind of graces the Lord wants to give you. And sometimes we want it right away. We want to see it. We want to notice it. And and yet there's a, a real invitation to the trust, the very reality of this whole book, this whole retreat is to allow the Lord to bless you on his own terms, in his own timing and in his own ways. And just to be able to behold that being able to look back with eyes of faith and to be able to see the trajectory of our own life and perhaps to be able to, in this life, but definitely in the next, be able to look back at the the time when we made this full surrender of trust to the Lord at, at at this time and to see how things started to change. And that doesn't mean that things get easier, hardly. Actually, uh, it seems to be the Lord, whenever we respond to trusting him more, he gives us even more opportunities to be united to him on the on the cross. But it's through the cross and the, through the cross only that we can come to the glory of the resurrection. And we know that the Lord invites us. Uh, my yoke is sweet, my burden light. That there's a real joy in being united to the Lord in, in the cross and in the sufferings. And it's through this trust that we come to really believe and make these acts of faith that, Lord, I trust in you because I know you're good, and I know you want my best, and I know you have something even greater than me that I could ever imagine on my own. I know that you've given me everything that I need. I know that you will not abandon me. I know that you will not forsake me, and I know know you are a good shepherd 
leading me and my, my loved ones to these true pastures that are green, where you will give us rest in you. So let's pray this last um, petition together, and then tomorrow we'll have a shorter day to conclude and encourage us to really be open to the, the blessing of this whole novena, or this whole retreat. Day 29, that I am your beloved one. Jesus, I trust in you. Well, isn't it amazing, brothers and sisters, that as we come to the close of our retreat, we come back to this idea of identity, that greater than anything that we could ever say or do or accomplish, in the end, it comes back to the idea of knowing who I am. Who am I? And to really receive my belovedness as being a beloved son, a beloved daughter. It goes right to the heart of our baptism, where we are immersed in the very life-giving waters that uh, St. Peter will say in his letter, that these waters now save you, right? These waters that even Jesus himself says that unless we are born again, we cannot be saved. And so these life-giving waters bring us into his own baptism. And as John the Baptist plunged him into the river Jordan and brought him up, the heavens opened and the voice of the Father spoke down to Jesus. You are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. And again, to really take to heart just what that means for us to hear the Father saying that to us, in you I am well pleased. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. Knowing our identity is everything. I remember as a high schooler starting to think about whether or not the Lord was calling me to be a priest. And I remember going to this priest that um, I admired and looked up to and, and was talking to him about well, I've had this um, conversion, and I'm just really am amazed at the reality of, I don't know if I could say it like this back then, um, my 15-year-old self, but just like coming to believe that it's true. The church is true. Uh, Jesus gave his church the sacraments through the priests, and the priesthood would be an incredible life. But Father, I also don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm supposed to be married. I'd love to be a husband and a father and to raise a, a beautiful family to glorify the Lord and uh, win many souls that way. And, and this priest so patiently, kindly heard me out and in the end really said, Adam, it basically all comes down to this. Who are you? I was like, what do you mean, who am I? He's like, Adam, you need to know who you are. You need to know who you are before you can ever discover what you're supposed to do. So Adam, who are you? And it was this super existential question for my 15-year-old self to be able to really conceive and wrap my mind around. And, and I don't think he was trying to be smart or anything. I think he was really inviting me to seeing God for who he is and that God isn't just a coach or... Um, some what's like a career specialist you know that you would go to and like I think I have these gifts and these talents and where do you think I could best you know put my services to use it's not like it's not like that the Lord has deeply ingrained in each and every one of our hearts 
these different desires and these different passions and has uniquely crafted our hearts to glorify him and for us to really take that to heart that it's not that I come to create myself first and then I discover who I am. No, I, I discover who I am. And then out of that identity, now I can love. Now I can go and serve. So back as a 15-year-old self, I just kind of knew that this task of finding out who I am would certainly take a, a lifetime. Um, and it's true, right? Like, yeah, maybe you can, um, what's the, maybe you can relate to that, <laughs> relate to that and being able to just see, it takes a long time like to really discover who I am and that there's more and more to this infinite mystery of who I am and who God created me to be. And so I think what that priest was inviting me to more than anything else was this acceptance of my belovedness. And that if I can really accept that I'm beloved, that I'm his, then all of a sudden everything else opens up. Uh, I've heard it said that, you know, this idea of our our identity is really not so much about knowing who we are, but whose we are. And maybe you've heard that before, but, but it's this like little shift that really makes all the difference in the, in the world. Um, listen to one of my favorite Psalms. Um, this is Psalm 100 that as a priest, I pray all the time, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the land, serve the Lord with gladness, come into his presence with singing, know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us and his, we are, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good, his mercy endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. That's Psalm 100, short and so sweet, but this idea of know that the Lord is God, he made us and his we are, that we are his His people and the sheep of his pasture. So this idea that it's not just understanding like, yeah, I'm a sheep. I'm a sheep. I need to know who I am. It's like, whose sheep are you, right? Do you know that you are the good shepherd sheep, that you have been claimed by him, that you are possessed by him, and that in as much as we come to accept that and trust that, then we can surrender ourselves to that beautiful relationship to be led by him in all things. Beautiful, right? It's not about knowing who we are, but whose we are. The Lord has claimed us for his own and doing that and offering the, the perfect sacrifice. The other idea of belovedness that has really jumped out to me in kind of praying about this petition um, is the idea of even a romance. Right? When we talk about beloved, we're talking about one that has captured the heart. Captured the heart. And maybe... You can think back to different romances, even infatuations that you've had of just recognizing someone and their incredible beauty or goodness, uniqueness, uh, pleasantness, whatever it is, that it's just like 
captured your mind or heart and all of a sudden it's kind of all you think about or yeah all that has captured your heart and um and to really to really appreciate what it means to be that beloved to be the one that and this isn't a lustful thing this isn't an objectifying thing but just one that has been um that has captured the other's heart and that I want to know you. I want to spend time with you. I want to um, hear who you are. I want to know your story. What makes you, you, who you are? Um, I remember someone telling me the story about Muhammad Ali, the great boxer being interviewed by all these different reporters. And he said, you know, this world would be a lot better place if you all started treating one another like you do me. And they're like, what are you talking about? He's like, you all treat me like I'm the most special person in the entire world. And the way that you treat me, the way that you talk to me, the way that you ask me questions, like you, you just think that I'm this incredible person. What if you all started treating one another like that? <laughs> and he said, the, you know, the reality is the, the kind of the moral of the story. It's like that not only is he special, but we are all special in the unique and unrepeatable way that we're made in God's image. And so to really appreciate every single person has a story and this unique makeup of their heart to bring them to who they are. What a lie. What a lie to really think that no, no, I'm, I'm no one special. There's nothing that really sets me apart. Or, and to think about the way that the Lord is captivated by us. Captivated and not in an objectifying way, but in a, a way that really just loves to behold who we are and we're, we're known most perfectly by him and yet one of the, the great gifts that he's given us is freedom to be able to um, make our own choices and to cooperate with him and the, the joy and delight of seeing our relationship with him unfold and, and this isn't a conditional um, gaze. This is, isn't a conditional beholding who you are only as long as you uh, are obedient, only as long as you are perfectly submissive to his will and to his laws. I think even that would be to misunderstand the loving gaze of our Heavenly Father who does not delight in our disobedience, hardly. But he is able to see this eternal perspective of who we are and that even in moments of disobedience, unfaithfulness, that he is able to behold how we respond in those moments to trusting in his mercy and coming back to him and um, recovering our, that grace and coming to live out of that relationship once again. He's able to see it all in all. He, and so that, that loving beholding of who you and I are is just not contingent upon our, our perfection in this moment. One of the books of the Bible that really captures this is the Song of Songs. A book uh, on the surface is about the romantic love between a man and a woman. And it's really unique in the way that it's described positively. In so many ways, the love between men and women throughout the Bible are sources of, um, yeah, 
sources of lust, sources of, object, of objectification, sources of uh, disobedience to God, unfaithfulness. And here it's described in its real beauty and splendor in the way that the human heart can be captured by another person. So that's on the surface level, the love between a man and a woman. But many mystics and church fathers have looked at this and read this with the spiritual sense. The spiritual sense of being able to see that this isn't just a love between a man and a woman. This is a love between God and the person, God and the soul and the way that he pursues us. And so, yeah, one of these uh, great passages is in Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 8, right? The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping upon the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing in at the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks to me and says to me, Arise, my love, my dove, my fair one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, the time for pruning has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. Very poetic um, language and imagery here, but, but to appreciate this, voice of the beloved it's it's this idea that before i even see the one that i love the one that uh, i've been apart from i i hear his voice preparing the the way and and to think about the the distance that can really allow our hearts to grow in anticipation of this union love in itself desires union with the one loved. And so here is this beloved coming for you and me. And to to really come to see how, okay, I can start to see that this is all about God, the pursuer who comes after us, bounding out of heaven, whose voice can be heard and that moves me to my core, that reminds me of the one that has captured my heart, my attention, and has really come to affect me and shape me and change me in a way that is totally unique and unable to be replicated in any other way. And so that I am the beloved, I'm the one being pursued and I'm worth the sacrifice to be pursued. And, um, and here he comes, he's this great moment of, he comes and he stands behind our wall, our wall, right? Like, this, this barrier, how can we know we can trust the Lord? Because he respects our boundaries. He respects our freedom. He's not just going to come breaking in through the wall, through the door. No, he, he's standing outside and he's waiting for our response. He's gazing in at the windows, looking through the lattice. Again, if, if this were not coming from a, a Lord who is good and faithful and patient and kind, then this could be um, this could be objectifying and this could be really really disturbing but it's one who allows us to see him looking at us and to appreciate the way that he looks at us 
and is patient and waits for us to what? To get up and to open the door and to let him in. And that's a great question, right? Like to really accept my, my belovedness means that I'm willing to trust him and to open that door and to allow him to find me. Isn't it amazing that when Jesus comes on the, the scene, uh, is it the first thing that he says to humanity? Just about in John's chapter, John's gospel, chapter one, he sees the, the first disciples, Peter and Andrew, and he says, what do you seek? What are you looking for? Which is a great thing to, to appreciate, right? Like, here is the Lord pursuing us throughout salvation history, through different patriarchs and judges and prophets and kings and people trying to, like, get us to be ready to accept and recognize, here comes the Lord coming for us. And, and he just asks us, what do you seek? What are you looking for? What do you desire? What, what is most deep within your heart, right? Like, do you know who you are and, and what you're actually longing for? And the first response is uh, really sad and, and awkward. And the only thing that they can come out with is, where are you staying? Which is really sad. Like, that's it? They just ask this profound question. What do you seek? What are you looking for? And he says to them, come and see. And this invitation to really allow the Lord to be patient with us. Here he comes, bounding out of heaven, coming down as a baby, taking on our flesh so that he can not overwhelm us with his love, with his goodness, with his power, with his glory, but in the hidden way, veil who he is such that he can invite us into this relationship. Come and see. Come and see, and not only to come and see who I am, but to come and see who you are. I really believe this, that if you and I were to fully accept this amazing story of how God has been pursuing us, doors would open up to really appreciate the ways that the Lord has been pursuing our hearts and coming after us. And I don't know, just thinking about my own life and my family the ways that he's really blessed me uh, with some incredible parents and some amazing siblings, the ways that he's really challenged me um, through my family, through my upbringing, through some different moves, through some different friendships, ups and downs, through some different sicknesses and injuries and different trials of faith, different trials of friendships, um, trials of discernment, trials of faith, and all all the while, like, always there and always working and coming to really bring me to this point where I look back now and it's just like, Lord, you did all of that for me? Um, I quoted her recently, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity uh, had a, a moment where she was kind of looking at her own life and all the ways that God had been pursuing her heart uniquely. And she just said, Lord, you would think that you have no one else to love. Which is beautiful, right? Because uh, it's like out of all the things the Lord does uniquely for us to win us and to just really live out of this reality of our being beloved to him, you would almost look around and be tempted to say, it's as if you don't have time for anybody else but are only concerned with me. And in a sense, that's true. 
to him it is as if you're the only one. Can we accept that? Can we accept that? And it demands a response. It demands a response. This is the what we pray for in the trust that I might trust in my belovedness, that I'm worth being pursued, that I'm worth being sacrificed for, that I'm worth the Lord coming down and giving everything to show me that he's trustworthy and that he wants this relationship with me. At the end of the the first section, Sister Faustina says, trust at its finest is abandoning ourselves totally to God. Isn't she so good at that? It's like each one of these days has like a different glimpse into trust and here we kind of, we're coming to this climax of what trust is all about. And at its finest, it's abandoning ourselves totally to God, totally to this pursuit to really say like, Lord, you win. And and not because I can't take it anymore, but it's like, no, I've, I've come to this place of submission where I realize you won't stop. You won't stop. And, and you're never going to tire of inviting me to let go and to respond to this loving relationship with you. And so I give you access. When we look at the second section of this chapter, it really does flow from the Song of Songs to be able to, to recognize the, the romance. And we don't want to misinterpret that, but the, the romantic idea of the passionate pursuit of the Lord. And I'm going to invite you to really consider this way that out of all the language, out of all the imagery that the writers of the the Gospels and St. Paul and others, the best that they can use to be able to capture the way that God relates to us is this marital, spousal love. And so that the Lord on the Last Supper was inviting his disciples to this covenant, this covenantal relationship. Not just a, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you, contractual relationship, but a covenantal relationship where it's really, I am yours and you are mine, right? That's what a husband and wife say to one another on their wedding day, that forever I am yours and you are mine that are the two become one flesh. And and this is really what Jesus invites us, you and me, in a relationship with him, that we might abide in him and he in us. And so for us um, to really accept that when life is seen through this lens, that God seeks each of us as his beloved and he is our beloved, that everything changes, that I can be free. I can be free to experience this love, experience this fullness of life, and to witness this uh, joyfully to all, all the other people in my life. So let's conclude in, in praying our litany. Again, taking this uh, petition to heart that I am your beloved one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The litany of trust. From the belief that I have to earn your love, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear that I am unlovable, deliver me, Jesus. 
from the false security that I have what it takes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear that trusting you will leave me more destitute, deliver me, Jesus. From all suspicion of your words and promises, deliver me, Jesus. From the rebellion against childlike dependency on you, deliver me, Jesus. From refusals and reluctances in accepting your will, deliver me, Jesus. From anxiety about the future, deliver me, Jesus. From resentment or excessive preoccupation with the past, deliver me, Jesus. From restless self-seeking in the present moment, deliver me, Jesus. From disbelief in your love and presence, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being asked to give more than I have, deliver me, Jesus. From the belief that my life has no meaning or worth, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of what love demands, deliver me, Jesus. From discouragement, deliver me, Jesus. That you are continually holding me, sustaining me, loving me. Jesus, I trust in you. That your love goes deeper than my sins and failings and transforms me. Jesus, I trust in you. That not knowing what tomorrow brings is an invitation to lean on you. Jesus, I trust in you. That you are with me in my suffering. Jesus, I trust in you. That my suffering united to your own will bear fruit in this life and the next. Jesus, I trust in you. That you will not leave me orphan. That you are present in your church. Jesus, I trust in you. That your plan is better than anything else. Jesus, I trust in you. That you always hear me and in your goodness always respond to me. Jesus, I trust in you. That you give me the grace to accept forgiveness and to forgive others. Jesus, I trust in you. That you give me all the strength I need for what is asked. Jesus, I trust in you. That my life is a gift. Jesus, I trust in you. That you will teach me to trust you. Jesus, I trust in you. That you are my Lord and my God. Jesus, I trust in you. That I am your beloved one. Jesus, I trust in you. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode. To learn more about Drybones Ministries, events, and initiatives, and to support this podcast, go to drybonespgh.org. Thanks, and God bless you.